If forgiving is divine, how come no one wants to be divine and forgive the doctor when something goes wrong? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Rabbi Erwin Kula. Rabbi Kula is the president of CLAL, the National Jewish Center for Learning and Leadership, a leadership training institute, think tank, and resource center located in New York City. Known as both a provocative religious leader and a spiritual iconoclast, Rabbi Kula was ranked number eight in Newsweek's list of top 50 rabbis in America. He is the author of several books and has appeared on the Today Show and on Oprah. Shalom, Rabbi Kula. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for joining us today at the Clinician's Roundtable. It's been great to be here. Today we're discussing, is sorry enough? Or do you need to ask for forgiveness? The patient safety movement began, believe it or not, with the publication of the Institute of Medicine's report, To Err is Human. It's fascinating. What happened to the forgive divine part? <laughs> Instead, sorry has become the operative word. Is that enough? You know, look, I would say sorry is necessary, but more often than not, not sufficient. It's hard, though. You know, we're not trained in this culture, any of us, not only doctors, but anybody, and especially anybody with real responsibilities, with power and status. We are not trained to be vulnerable. And we assume that if we're vulnerable, someone's going to attack us. We assume if we're vulnerable, it means we're weak, as opposed to actually you can be incredibly strong and vulnerable. And so... Forgiveness requires the person asking for forgiveness, for sure, to be vulnerable. And learning how to be vulnerable is a discipline. It's a practice. Is that something you've taught to others? Or how does one as a physician learn this? Do we need to set it up in medical school as a training program? I mean, look, we've got to start, first of all, as human beings in our homes. And how often does the person with more power actually, not simply say, I'm sorry, but feel vulnerable. And so it starts with parents actually modeling for children, being able to say in a deep way, I'm sorry, and actually feel, you know what, I'm not simply the all-powerful parent over this child, but I'm also a human being who has vulnerabilities, and I need to be able to show them in the proper dosages <laughs> to my children so that my children learn that vulnerability is actually a sign of strength and power. Now, once you start at raising children that way, then of course in all of our schools, especially our professional schools, and here I would say, now I'm not a doctor, so I always have to be careful speaking about someone else's field, that in a field as powerful of a life and death as a doctor, it is even more incumbent to learn how to be vulnerable. And it's not so easy. I think that when you really have life and death over somebody, you have to be careful not to be weak. So there's vulnerability and there's weakness, and those are two different things. So yes, we have to train from kids all the way up through medical school. What's the difference between saying, I'm sorry, and asking forgiveness? I'm sorry is like, you know, it would be like this. I'm married 25 years, and I say I love you every single morning before I leave the house. And when I call or speak to my wife during the day, at some point, love you, honey. Now, it's very nice, but it's ritualistic and formalistic. And while very important, because rituals are important, especially as a rabbi, I say that, mm-hmm. it does not touch at the experience of love behind the words. That's why it's necessary. It is necessary to simply be ritualistic and say it sometimes. 
But unless on a regular basis you're experiencing the love behind the word love, it turns out not to mean anything. Well, that's the same with I'm sorry. I'm sorry has become fairly formulaic in the society. And therefore, we don't actually have the experience of forgiveness. And that means we have to, like any ritual, we have to go deeper. We're going to have to stimulate in ourselves and in other people the actual experience of, I'm sorry, and the experience is always one of, these are the steps. There's always a kind of realization of, oh my God, I really did something wrong. It doesn't feel good that I did something wrong. That's not who I really am. It is not who I really want to be. That's a real feeling you have to have. And we've all had that feeling and know that most of the time when we say, I'm sorry, that's not what we're feeling. Is that the beginning of the process of asking for forgiveness? Yes, that's the first. The first step is realization. Okay? And it's a very big step because if you're not morally and psychologically developed, you can do incredible damage to people and not realize that you're ever doing damage. And you can do this without admitting that you're guilty to yourself or to anyone else, correct? Because that's obviously the big issue. Yes. I would say the first phase, though, is not admitting it to anyone else. Uh-huh. The first phase is admitting it to yourself. And to genuinely admit it to yourself is really hard. That's actually, in some ways, harder than admitting it to someone else. Because we tend to be our own worst judges, for good and for bad. We both are our worst judges in letting us go scot-free, and we're our own worst judges in imprisoning us far more than we deserve to be imprisoned for what we do. I'd like to discuss this process of asking for forgiveness a bit further, but at this moment I'd like to welcome those who have just joined us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking with Rabbi Erwin Kula. We're discussing asking for forgiveness. So the first step is realization, recognition that something happened that you didn't expect, you didn't want to happen. What goes next? Well, after realization, there has to be the feeling and experience of regret. Okay? And that's different than just realizing. It's, it has to not feel so good. You know? You have to regret. I really wish that I didn't do this. I really wish. And not I really wish it would have been different. Because there's no it. Taking responsibility, which is very key to both granting forgiveness and asking forgiveness, in other words, feeling forgiven, comes from a sense of accountability in the I, not in the it, and we tend to externalize very often, it didn't go well. Now, it may be true that it didn't go well, but what's my responsibility in the it? And so regret is a personal feeling. It doesn't feel so good, but regret is always an invitation to growth. To talk so much about the blameless society, the system failed, the process is wrong, it sounds like you can't achieve forgiveness in a blameless culture. Right, because the whole point of blameless is, oh, no one needs to be forgiven. Stuff happens. You know? yeah, right. So part of what we need is there are times when, in fact, it was beyond my control. And there are times when, in fact, you know, it wasn't my control, and I tried the best I could, or I didn't try the best I could, and there was a mess up. And I then need to take account. I need to be accountable for that. And, you see, part of what happens is, if we idealize, with doctors, I think this is, again, I'm speaking now as a patient, not as a doctor for a second. Well, that's good. Patient, that's good. We need to hear that perspective. A patient and, let's say, and a rabbi. So I'm holding both those together. What we tend to do is we tend to 
idealize stuff. So it seems to me if you're a doctor and really deal with life and death is you have to have a pretty good self-confidence and you have to idealize what it is you do. And you have to actually, for people to allow you to put their hands on your body and to make incisions and to make a decision that they're going into you when you're under, you know, you have to idealize that doctor. It can't be just a run of the mill. You have to think your doctor's the best, and I don't care who you are. I don't care where you live in the world. <laughs> Unfortunately, now, some of the doctors believe that a little too much. Yes, well, what happens is we have to believe that no different than we have to believe when that our parents do have more answers than we have for at least till we grow up. And if we don't think that and we think, I'm really much smarter than my father, I'm really much smarter than my we are going to have some kind of arrested pathological development. You know the old Mark Twain joke about that, don't you? But yeah, let's hear <laughs> When I was 18, my father didn't know anything. By the time I was 21, I couldn't believe how much he had learned in just three years. Yes, right. So well, that's, that's really great. So once we understand that that's going to happen in the doctor-patient relationship, too. Okay, so it could okay. be that, you know, in the two months between, I'm just making this up and I'd love sure. to hear back. Yeah. In the two months between some kind of diagnosis, surgery, I really do need to idealize. There's a faith element, and idealization is a fancy word for faith. There's a faith element I need to have mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. doctor because he does control life and death. And I need to have my head and my heart and my spirit I'm leaving it in his hands. Yes, I'm leaving it in God's hands. If I believe in a God, I'm leaving it in the universe's hands if I believe in the universe. But very conventionally and pragmatically, it is in this doctor's hands. And I need to psychically be there. But the problem is we have to remember that that is a moment truth. It's not an absolute truth. The process, again, of forgiveness, we've, the realization, the recognition of the problem, the regret, which you've expressed eloquently and why it's so important that doctors realize regrets necessary because they are being idealized. What's the next step? Two more steps. It's very easy to remember because it's four R's. By the way, this is not me. This is uh, one of the great doctors in history, Maimonides. He was the doctor to the sultan in the Mediterranean world. He was in the 13th century, and he was also the greatest Jewish philosopher. So interesting, he held these things together. He said there were four, basically four steps. So recognize what I'm doing, regret what I'm doing, resolve never to do it again which is a process of, like, really what happened? How did this happen? How did I wind up making this mistake? And only after recognizing, regretting, and resolving can I actually go to the person and begin the process of repair, which is the last R. We tend to jump to repair without realization, regret, and resolve. And that's why we can't feel forgiven. Even if the person says, yes, I understand, it's okay, you did the best you can, but we don't feel forgiven even after we say I'm sorry, because it has nothing to do actually with the other person. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. It has to do with what's the process that got us to being committed to repair. It's so fascinating. This goes back to the year 1200 with my mom, because in the sorry works problem and all the risk management, following realization, recognition of a problem resolution, coming to the patient. They say, come to the patient. Say, we're going to solve the problem. We're going to find out what happened. We're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. And now the latest part of this formula, so to speak, is repair and saying, we're going to help you. We're here to, do you need housing? Do you need a place to stay? Do you need food? You're going to have lost income. We'd like to compensate you. Wow, that's great. And, you know, but it's just so fascinating that there is a reason to learn history. That's great that that's happening, that someone's describing it that way. 
look, there's always a certain amount of brokenness, no matter what, when we mess up. And when we mess up seriously, there's a little more brokenness. But the brokenness doesn't become toxic. And that's the kind of forgiveness we want. Grace, you know, is not earned. Sometimes grace is just lucked out or God-given. <laughs> but we can do these four R's. And especially if we do it properly, that repair piece generates that kind of stuff. And then we do feel forgiven. And that's really what the social capital necessary for good doctor-patient relationships, for all human relationships, but especially where the power dynamics are different. That's a great note to end on. I'd like to thank Rabbi Erwin Kula, who has been our guest, and we've been discussing Asking for Forgiveness. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our new on-demand and podcast features, which give you access to our entire program library. I wish you good day and good health.